I watched quite a lot of the snooker over the weekend. I do enjoy the. Oh, it's class, isn't it? I absolutely love. It. I mean, I like watching snooker generally. Anyway, it's uh, I find it very therapeutic. But when the World Championships on, I'm generally glued. Certainly from sort of the quarterfinal stage onwards, I'm generally glued. <clears throat> and but I just find it's this. Just... And I I tweeted this last night, and I got a bit of a nibble. Uh, I find it astonishing <laughs> that. And I know that in the in some of the regular snooker events, they are now wearing polo shirts and sort of more more relaxed mm. dress code. But I just there's. There's something in me that every time I watch it, I just see them in their shirts and their bow ties and their shoes. And I just think that must be so uncomfortable. And obviously this dress code is something we talk yeah. about so much. And it obviously all comes from the aristocracy and, you know, this is mm. a British game. So you've got to dress a certain way and similar to golf in that sense. But I just watch it and I think I, I, maybe it's just because I've got a weird lanky body shape and big flat feet that I can never <laughs> find shoes that are comfortable. But I just look at them pacing around the the table for hours on end in those shoes and I just think your feet must just kill at the end of yeah. end of a session. They get that they don't when they go off at the end of a session, they must just take their shoes off and put them in like a bowl of water or something. It is the most like visually satisfying. Even the most simple shots you just think, God and they make it look so easy, whereas when you actually play snooker, it's one of the hardest sports to to master, in my opinion. I always find it a bit strange because snooker and golf are very similar in the sense that you have a lot of ex-players or ex-pros or people that did it at the highest level as pundits and commentators. And it's a wonderful addition to the, mm. the experience of the viewer. But then you go over to football and you just and everyone just spends their whole time complaining that Danny, Danny Murphy or Jermaine Genius yeah. have no idea what they're talking about. <laughs> That's true. That. They are genuinely, sometimes they're genuinely dreadful. And you think, why are you here? Like, what are you contributing to this? That is true. Oh, they're also knowledgeable in the snooker. Dennis Taylor's class, Stephen Hendry's class. I don't think I'd go and watch, would you go, ever go and watch it? I do think about this. Obviously, I live 25 Not minutes. far from the crucible. So it's, it's sort of, I, I do sort of think maybe I would. I, I don't know. I sit there and listen to them, people coughing. And I just think that would be me. I would show up. I wouldn't even have a cough that day. And then I would sit mm. down in the crucible and suddenly my throat would start tightening up and tickling and I'd be coughing the whole way through the session and just yeah. basically humiliate. Suddenly develop tonsillitis. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's, I don't know. I just, I, mm. there's something about having to sit in a silent room with a couple of thousand other people that just makes me really anxious. And you have to be dead silent, like don't you? Like, it is something in, that I like to go and experience. At golf, at least you can sort of obviously talk and whisper to people but the snooker you can't you can't do any of that really can you you literally have to sit there like a statue i've been playing the hell out of the new ea sports pga tour game by the way it's so good mm. you just reminded me then when you were talking about being able to talk at golf events which obviously you can do there's some there's just really nice little t- first of all the gameplay is absolutely sensational and mm. um, our colleague steve carroll <laughs> as well so if you are interested in getting the game he's written a really extensive review anecdotally as someone who has gamed his entire life it's absolutely brilliant fun to play and also just mesmerizing in the sense the, the way they've recreated the old course and uh, and augusta particularly on top of all the other golf courses they have on there there's just there's just really nice little touches so for example that you just triggered a little memory in me there where mm. when you when you stand over a shot so you, you'll you'll be lining up your shot and you'll hear background noises of people to like the crowd the galleries talking and murmuring and then as soon as you press the button to address the ball 
before you take your swing, it just goes silent. And I really like, I just really like Nightfield. <laughs> I think it's absolutely brilliant. But um, go and read Steve's piece if you're if you're keen to get involved in that game because it is fantastic. And just on another point, while we're talking about video games, I took my kids to see the Super Mario movie over the bank holiday weekend. And if you are sort of an old school video game nerd like I am, if you're in, if you're a Nintendo obsessive like I am, if if you just enjoy funny, good kids movies there's plenty of stuff in there for the adults as well there's so many easter eggs i absolutely loved it right let's talk about some golf Right, before we start, a victory on the DP World Tour in Korea for Pablo Larathabal. It's always a, a difficult one to spit out, isn't it? I, I'm losing count. I think that's 16 wins for the Paradigm now in 2023, which is just ludicrous. So huge shout out to our friends at Callaway who make the slam possible. And also he's using Chrome Soft Golf Ball. So I would encourage people to go and read about it on nationalclubgolfer.com. Hannah Holden, our equipment editor, did a huge thing about it at the start of the year. It shouldn't be too difficult to find about how Callaway just basically tore everything up in terms of their Callaway Chrome Soft Golf Ball and started again from the beginning. And Larathabal was using those for his victory over the weekend. And again, like I said, the, the driver is just absolutely on fire. Uh, on a personal level, I've got an Odyssey putter coming my way. So finally, I can, A, I can actually talk about it on this podcast mm-hmm. once I get it in my hands. Hopefully it won't be too long. And B, I can get rid of the eight-year-old putter out of my bag. Which is really funny. Uh, if there's nothing wrong with it, I'll probably uh I'll probably miss it terribly. But mm. we can move on. So yes, the usual start of the podcast shout out for Callaway, who are just on fire. Right. Where should we start? Should we start with Phil Mickelson and the OWGR? He's he's has come out of shell more since now his now his personal sort of turbulence and career turbulence has sort of calmed down. He's quite um he's he's quite active on Twitter now, isn't he? And it came from for those who didn't see it, it came from an account called Live Golf Nation tweeting saying fifty percent of the world's top players play on the play on the Live Tour, and then that sort of led through a load of comments. <clears throat> to went to which Mickelson replied to a tweet from Colt Nost, I think. And he said it's it's the OWGR's job to rank all of the players. And he supposedly he claimed it this hasn't been done, hasn't ranked live players because it would hurt the PGA Tours revenue from CBS. And he says, and then he, in another tweet he said, I don't need OWGR points, nor do I care about them, because he's in all the majors for quite well. well why, he's in all the majors through that, 20, 2025. That is the most interesting thing for me. So he tweeted, as you just said there. Uh, his exact quote was, I don't need OWGR points, nor do I care for them myself. Mm. And then he pointed out that he's in three of the majors for until the age of 60, and then he's in all four for the next two or three years now. So why is he suddenly so vocal about it? It feels to me that he cares less about his desire for, say, Dean Burmester to move up the world rankings and more of a continuation of his ongoing spat with the PGA Tour. In, in the tweets, it, it would seem that he's claiming that the committee colludes with the PGA Tour um, to benefit the PGA Tour. Uh, it, it would seem that, that that's what he's claiming. 
But if you look at the if you look at the um o, the board of the, the OWGR, it it includes all members from the majors who have been they've accepted live golf players into their events. So the, so the, the governing board is chaired by Peter Dawson, who used to be um the CEO of the RNA, didn't he? Mm-hmm. And then it's got representative from Augusta, um, the PGA of America, um, the PGA European Tour, the RNA, the USGA, um, the International Federation of PGA Tours, and Jay Monaghan. And the European Tours representative is Keith, is Keith Pelly. So I suppose that is what Mickelson is referring to, the fact that um, Jay Monaghan is on the board. So therefore, it giving, live golf, giving live golfers ranking points... Um, would obviously not benefit him, but wouldn't benefit the PJ Tour. So that's the point I think that Mickelson's alluding to. But the, the point is, and again, I, I just feel like a broken record and everyone on this side, everyone who isn't on Live Golf's side in this sense is saying Live Golf just simply isn't meeting the requirements. Now, people say, well, how? why does it matter that they're... So I, I saw it, one argument over the weekend I saw was someone was saying, well... Live golf are playing. They're they're playing against you know x amount of the best players in the world, and there's no denying that regardless of their world ranking, Dustin Johnson, Brooks Koepka, Bryson DeChambeau, yeah, he's out of form. Cameron Smith, Patrick Reed, etc. They are among the best golfers in the world. There's no denying that whatsoever. No. But if some multi gazillionaire, okay, say for example, I was a billionaire and I went, do you know what? I'm going to give. All those players I just mentioned, DJ, Brooks Kepka, Cameron Smith, etc. I'm going to just have 10 players and then I'm going to go, right, I'm going to give you all uh, 100 million each to come and play on my golf course for my own amusement. I'm not then going to sit there and go, oh, I think I should have world ranking points because that's essentially what they live are doing. Mm. When you break it yeah. down, and yeah, I've bastardised it a little bit, but when you break it down, that is essentially what they're doing. Now, I can't get my head around that. It really frustrates me that people are just... But again, and I say, I feel like I've said this a thousand times as well, it's just this politicising of golf that's happened in the last few years. You're either on one side or you're on the other. And there's no nobody in the middle going, mm. do you know what? We need to sit down and talk about this. For me, I, I don't think the world rankings is perfect. I don't necessarily think that all those people you just read out should be on the board for the world rankings at all. It no. should be a completely separate entity. Yeah, like that's a good point, I think. Nobody should, nobody yeah. on the PJ Tour should be appointing these. Well, especially in this situation now where you've got a direct rival has come in and said, we would like world ranking points, please. Now, I'm sure if they yeah. met all the requirements, they would perfectly reasonably say, yes, okay. The majors have done a good thing because they've all just sat back and gone, do you know what? We're staying out of this. And the reality is they can afford to stay out of it because they know that those players will just tumble down the rankings and won't qualify mm. for the for the majors and therefore it's not their problem anyway but we, how do we fix this how do we deal with this do we just get rid of OWGR and just have another ranking a lot of people talk about data golf of course I think it's a good point saying that the OWGR should definitely be an independent board an independent like a like a, a private thing I think that's definitely a good point with no bias involved um, we don't know if there is any bias involved but having Keith Pelly, Jay Monaghan on on the board who have who who have an interest in live golf players and tournaments not having access to ranking points, they have, a, have, have an invested interest in that. If that benefits them directly. They shouldn't really be on the board. Whereas I can more understand people like Martin Slumbers and Seth War, Mike Wan being on it, um, who are key figures in the major organisations. 
Yeah. You can understand them being on it. Majors are independent and they've allowed live players to see out their exemptions and they'll continue to for as long as they have exemptions. But definitely a bit of privatisation for that is needed. I think on the OWGR website, it's not entirely clear. Um, we've heard that with Liv, and we've and we've written that Liv, it needs things like Monday qualifiers, needs things like a, a route. Um, and it needs re- yeah. Um, so on the OWGR that was, website, sorry, that was my point I was making before. It's just it's just an invitational. So like I'm saying, like what could I just pay? Could a billionaire <clears throat> just pay X amount of the best players in the world to do one tournament? Mm. And say right, they should have. Because that's the argument the live, the live people are making. If that if that's like scenario that I said happened, they would then have mm. to say, Dustin Johnson has just beaten Brooks Koepka. Cameron, okay, it was over eighteen holes, and it was just a one off on a on a pony track in the middle of nowhere. But the argument's exactly the same. Mm. Well, under the eligibility requirements bullet points on the OWR website, it says a tournament is organised or sanctioned by an eligible golf tour and meets all relevant and applicable criteria. But then under that, it doesn't really have that criteria. It just says a tournament has a minimum of 30, 30 players and then it meets the specific, specific criteria for eligible formats. It's just a lot of... That, that that's where where I think there is frustration, justified frustration with live players. That, that there is a bit of cloudy, there's like there's not much clarity in terms of yeah. what is required, especially especially in terms of information that's that's been given to the public. Maybe the players know more, but in terms of public information about what you need to do to make to make an eligible golf tour, I don't think that information is made clear enough. My favorite bit in that. Twitter spat was <laughs> that Live Golf Nation account, who I don't know if it's run by an official Live thing or if it's just a, a Trump fan. But as you said before, he 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 or she, I don't know who runs the account, says fifty percent of the world's top golfers play on Live. Colt Nost replied saying, "Please list them when you get a chance." And then the next reply <laughs> is third someone from someone who calls himself Pro Golf Critic. It's a bit of a dorky name, but. 13 of the top 32 equals 41%. 20 of the top 52 equals 38%. So he's sort of proving Coltnoss point. And then he says, mm. and that doesn't include guys like Peter Uline who had unfulfilled potential. I mean, if you're <laughs> using the phrase unfulfilled potential to justify yeah. your argument, you know you're onto a bad that's the uh, That's the expected goals of golf, that, isn't it? It, re- it really is. <laughs> There's that. I mean, I don't know if you saw this. this is, it reminded me of, there was this tremendous thing where, and I know you shouldn't take Twitter seriously with these things. I know that genuinely they are just faceless accounts from almost certainly teenagers. But when Liverpool mm. were finishing second in the Premier League with 96, 97 points, and they were arguing that they should share the points or share the title with Manchester City mm. because they'd got so many points and not really understanding how it works. And I, <clears throat> I saw one of those faceless accounts for Arsenal this weekend saying that because Arsenal have been top for the majority of the season, they should win the title and that's how the title should be decided. It sort of reminds me a little bit of that. And and again, I'm not, before people start messaging me or tweeting me, I'm not saying every Arsenal fan thinks that or every Liverpool fan thinks that. I know there's a minority of idiots in this world generally. But I I, I, I read these things and I just think, how can people come to these conclusions 
<clears throat> well, th- well, I think w- w- it wasn't might not be that live golf account, but another one said that Peter Uline's a top a top twenty player or a top ten player or something like that. No, 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 no. It was it was Peter Uline is hands down a better player than Matt Fitzpatrick. I don't know if you saw that the other day or not. But 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 then you sort of look in the in the comments. You know when you when you see a when you see a tweet, you don't know whether it's a joke or not. So you go on their account and then you go on their replies and you see if they're actually backing it up or if they're actually joking or not. And the other, it, it, it wasn't a joke. And so just things like that. I think I alluded it to it on our last pod that those tweets and those accounts don't help live because that is obviously just objectively wrong. Yeah. Like PTU line, no dis- no disrespect to it. Yeah, he has one of points out that we have absolutely high regard for PTU line. He's obviously a very he's, good player. But... Yeah, and he was an outstanding amateur. But even probably he would say that he's better than Matt Fitzpatrick, let alone some some faceless Twitter account that, that that's just sort of trying to pump up live. So, but the, one of the only players at the minute that that you could say, not that any of them deserve ranking points just yet, because like we keep saying, they need to tick boxes. But Taylor Gooch, you know, to win two events on the trot with 54 players, and obviously we were saying they're not the best players, but there are good players there. To win two events on the trot, beating Sergio Garcia in a playoff and then finishing ahead of Brooks Kepka, who just played really well at the Masters. That is objectively good golf and good performances. So, So Taylor Gooch, well done. He's playing really, really good golf at the minute. And um, he's got a place at the USPGA now, I believe. He hasn't at the US Open, but and he has at the Open. So there's no reason to suggest that he could he couldn't he could easily play well at the USPGA and the Open. They got and one get more event, a few points. They? They've got another event before the PGA. Yeah. yeah, so he could easily play well at those events, get himself How's a few points, they start up the rankings. Are they back to the states? Um, Sorry, I thought you knew. Just while you're doing that, back to Uline. Uh, he lost in a playoff. Remember, no, he lost in the playoff, didn't he, to Brooks Kepka? I just remembered that right. now. Brooks Kepka's first win. But, I mean, just to, just on the, point, next. on the point about Matt Fitzpatrick versus Peter Uline, Peter Uline's record, this is his major record. His best at the Masters is a missed cut. His best at the PGA Championship is a missed cut. His best at the US Open is a tied 48th in 2018. And his best at the Open is a tied 44th in 2017. I mean, how can you look at that and justify that he's and he's won? He's got three professional wins. Again, there's no disrespect to Peter Uline. He's obviously no. a very good player, but one European Tour win, two Corn Ferry Tour wins, and nothing better than a tied 44th in the majors. I yeah. mean, how can you make that argument? It's, and he and he it's actually ask. it's actually more disrespectful for them to say that about Matt Fitzpatrick than it is for us to say what we're saying about Peter Uline. Yeah. And Peter Yulon doesn't ask for these comparisons, does he? He doesn't ask for people to tweet those things. Of course. You know, it just sort of makes And again, mockery, again, it it's, just one, it's just one person making an idiotic comment and spoiling it for everyone. But it is sort of indicative of the way that those live golf accounts are, are behaving, mm. which is a shame. Sorry, where are the live, where's live golf going next week? Tulsa. Oh, okay, we're in Tulsa, are we? Cedar, Cedar Ridge. I think that was used last, last, on the last live golf in the first schedule. Cedar Ridge, yeah. But yeah, you can't. Yeah, you can't argue. Taylor Gooch is playing very good golf, and he's winning. And he's like, what is he like? Something like thirty-five under par for his last uh, for his last two tournaments. And that's obviously objectively yeah. that's very good golf. And he could go to Tulsa and play well there as well. And then he could go to the PGA Championship and play well. Still doesn't mean you he should get think... world ranking points. No. You have to think that Zach Johnson 
it's just, it, it, it's just, say if he wins again, if he wins in Tulsa, that'd be three in a row. And surely, surely Zach yeah. Johnson w- w- would be looking at that and thinking he's playing good golf. He's already in the Ryder Cup conversation as far as I'm concerned. And we have made it very clear on here that we want the Ryder Cup to be the 12 best European. I'm so bored of saying yeah. this again. But 12 best Europeans versus 12 best Americans do not care what you, tour you play on. So, Zach, yeah, you're um, absolutely right. Zach Johnson has to be thinking about I mean, he's in the conversation already. He's won two events. It's as simple as that. He's won two events and he's playing very well. Speaking of the Ryder Cup, let's just jump ahead to this week because mm. it's the Italian Open or the DS Automobiles Italia Open to give it its official and very catchy title. It's up against another. There's another elevated event this week in the Wells Fargo Championship. Now, Luke Donald's playing in Italy, of course. A few players with an outside chance of making his team are in the field because it's the DP World Tour and that's what they play on. Now, we we keep carping on about the seven players who will almost certainly be on Luke's team, which is uh, John Rahm, Rory McIlroy, Matt Fitzpatrick, Tyrrell Hatton, Victor Hovland, Tommy Fleetwood and Shane Lowry. And they're all playing at Quail this week. Of course they are. It's a, it's, it's a monstrous purse, plus they're allowed to miss one elevated event or as many as you like if your name's Rory McIlroy. But <laughs> this is a huge scheduling error on behalf of the DP World Tour, in my opinion. They should want all their best players playing at the Ryder Cup venue in a DP World Tour event a couple of months before the Ryder Cup. It's as simple as that. And it makes you wonder if there is even a strategic alliance at all. But uh, Luke Donald won't say it out loud, but inside he must be absolutely fuming about this. Maybe the scheduling issue is is hindered by the fact that they actually need to get the course ready and the place ready for the Ryder Cup in September. But you would have to think, like, obviously Fleetwood, Fitzpatrick, Hatton, Rory um, and Lowry, obviously they aren't going to play because they're most likely, all five of those players are going to be in the right, are going to be playing at the Ryder Cup. So therefore they don't really need to come over to Italy and audition in front of Luke Donald, do they? But I, I sort of... No, I don't, I, my point, Patrick, sorry, sorry, sorry. I, I do just want to... Just, just, I do just want to jump in there because my point isn't about auditioning for Luke Donald. My point is mm. about going and playing Schedule. in the tournament that is at the Ryder Cup venue three or four months before the Ryder Cup is actually played. And they could have absolutely organised the Italian Open. Now, I, I know, obviously, it's really difficult to organise a schedule and get things in certain dates, but they could have organised the Italian Open, but it was on a week... On the Euro- and, I, and I get it also, you know, the Rory's and Shane Lowry's of the world, they're PGA Tour players. I get that. They're not DP World Tour players. Well, they, they are DP World Tour members, but they are PGA Tour players, if that makes sense. And I get that, but they absolutely could have had it. And then Luke could have said to the guys, look, we need to show, we, we got absolutely thrashed in Whistling mm. Straits. We need to show some sort of unity. We need to all show up at the Italian Open en masse. And they probably went, yeah, okay, cool. Saw the schedule. Oh, no, it's up against an elevated event. We can't. That is true. Carry on. It's hard to argue with the point you made about the strategic alliance as well. That just doesn't help the DP World Tour again, does it? It is the inferior tour that is easy to push to one side and sort of perhaps bully, really. This week does not help the European Ryder Cup side, who has just been battered in the most recent renewal. So, so I think, yeah, you do make a good point, to be fair. If, if this could easily have been rearranged, well, not even rearranged, just when they were doing the, the 22 slash 23 um, DP World Tour schedule, this could have been arranged in a much better way. I suppose, maybe maybe when they arranged this, the Wells Fargo wasn't to be a 
elevated event. However, that wasn't just decided on the spot, was it? Keith Pelly could have easily been, been privy to the information. Yeah, that but Quail Hollow was still going. one of the bigger events, even if the elevated yeah. thing, yeah. elevated event wasn't a thing. Like it's Quail Hollow yeah. is still the one. You know, Rory plays it every year. Is uh, I think it was it was it where he won his very first PJ Tour event. I know he or him and Ricky Fowler always mm. had that little bit of history with Quail, didn't they? Now, no, you are right. You are right. And also, I just think some players in the field as well. For example, um, Seamus Power, Alex Norren, Sepp Stracker. Fair enough. They, technically, it's not their fault because they've been given a choice, haven't they? And they're obviously going to go for a purse that's got £20 million on offer. However, yeah. for three players that aren't guaranteed in any way to be in the Ryder Cup team, but could be, you'd think they would be at the Italian Open playing under Luke Donald's nose, you know, really, if one of those won um, the Italian Open in front of Luke, in, basically in front of Luke Donald, which they could, because they're three, got a lot of pedigree, those three players. Sure. Then performing right under his nose in a, in a weaker field, that that would that would do their Ryder Cup hopes, mass, give, give, give it a massive boost. Um, but they're playing in America, yeah, but or they could go to or they could go to uh, play at Quail Hollow, and all they've got to do is finish in the top twenty, and they're making probably as much money as they would for a top three at, at yeah. Italian Open. So uh, players like Sepp Stracker, like I'm, I'm never ever going to criticise their decisions for going and playing in a tournament that has just such a ridic- ridiculous purse and will set him and his family up for life. Like we'd all do the same thing. Obviously, mm. playing in the Ryder Cup is is something that every golfer should aspire to do that's eligible, of course. Um, but I'm never going to criticise a player for wanting to go and, and chase the money because essentially that's what it's all about, really, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but you've got... <clears throat> so you've got... You're, you're left with sort of Victor Perez, Jordan Smith, uh, Yannick Paul, Guido Migliosi, who, who are all going to be in the, at the Italian Open looking to impress Luke Donald. Um, I suppose it works to their advantage, but... So would you be? So what's your point? Would you be disappointed with? Are you more disappointed at the schedule, or the players not going to the Italian Open? I'm not. I'm not disappointed with the players at all because no. we would all make that same decision. And also, their hands are tied by the PGA Tour because they have yeah, they to yeah. play in X amount of. They have to play in all but one, don't they? Designated events. So Scheffler mm. and Ram, for example, are skipping this week. Um, having played, and no doubt, there's more OWR points on offer this week as well at the yeah, Wells Fargo. So if you're if you're a to use those players you said before, if you're a Seamus Power or a Sepp Stracker, sort of a middle of the road PGA Tour player, and they're not again, they are DP World Tour members, but they're not DP World Tour players. Remember, now if you're if you're a middle of the middle of the range PGA Tour player like those those players there. Of course, you're going to go and play for the big money. Of course, you're going to go and play for the big mm. OWGR points. Now they're probably thinking, "Well, I can make, I can play my way onto the, onto the Ryder Cup team without having to go to, um, to Rome this week to play in the Italian Open." And fine, like again, I think we would all make that same decision. I'm, I'm, my ire from it comes from the fact that they should have just held the Italian Open up against uh, a smaller, less lucrative PGA Tour. PJ yeah. Tour event where, and then Luke could have rallied the troops and said, "Look, guys, come over and play in this because it would mean a lot to your chances for the um, for the Ryder Cup." Yeah, um, I, it, I just think it's a huge shame. I, not, not necessarily a shame. I think it's a huge missed opportunity, really. 
especially mm. given that we got so thrashed at Whistling Straits. And everyone's talking about this uh, transition period, for want of a better phrase, with the European Ryder Cup team. But what better opportunity to show the unity of the Ryder Cup team than having what is essentially going to be every single player from your team showing up at Rome to play the Italian Open? Oh, we can't mm. because everyone's in, in Charlotte. At the so. host venue, yeah. Exactly. Well, yeah, exactly. So now you mentioned Jordan Smith there. You chatted to him last week. He had a couple of interesting things to say, didn't he? About the uh, yeah, he did. alliance. He did. I mean, he did. I mean, to, to be fair, he was a lovely chat to him. R- really nice fella. Um, and obviously, he he, he wasn't ever going to ever going to be heavily critical or, or go in on the on the DP World Tour. Um, like, and we don't either. Um, but he, 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 he did say that the DP World Tour has always been a feeder of a feeder as such to the, the PGA Tour. Every good player that's come from the DP World Tour, every outstanding player that's come from the DP World Tour, um, has gone and taken their chance in, in, in America. Basically, I don't so, necessarily I don't necessarily agree with that because it hasn't always been a feeder tour. I have, and I have spoken about this before, but of course, certainly in the last, let's say. 20, 25 years, it has been. Obviously, before that, back in the day, it wasn't. So, it's, yeah. in the, you know, in Seve's day, for example, it certainly wasn't the case. The, the European Tour was very much on level pegging with the PGA Tour. But in the last, certainly in the last couple of, so, well, let's just say since the turn of millennium, for the sake, sake of argument, like that has mm. definitely been the case, hasn't it? Like the, the desire for every European Tour player. I mean, even, I mean, I, I interviewed Bob McIntyre a few years ago when he was bursting onto the scene for want of a better phrase and he said I'll never go over there like I'm an Oban guy I'm I'm like a, I just like being at home and that's my thing and then you know a year later he's won a few he's got a few PGA Tour events and again and this is not a criticism in any way shape or form he gets a few invites to a few PGA Tour events looks at the prize purse and goes yeah well I'm obviously going to go and play that aren't I I'm going to put as much money in the bank as I can while I get, while I'm still sort of in yeah. this little purple patch Jordan Smith, yeah, he's also quite keen on qualifying for the Ryder Cup team as well. So that's so he'll be keen to um, be performing in front of Luke, um, who he met for the first time last year. He played with him for the first time played last year in South Africa. Yeah. yeah, and yeah, he played in the Hero Cup as well. Um, so he'll be one player that's that, that's looking to impress. Be interesting um, to see who's paired with Luke, won't it? Thursday and Friday. Yeah, I wonder if I suppose... Luke will have uh, some sort of say in that. He might, he might want to look at, like, for example, Yannick Poole, who's currently in the automatic mm. qualification position for the European points list. Luke might be saying, pair me with Yannick Poole. I want to see his game yeah. up close. Well, it certainly wouldn't surprise me if he was paired with, yeah, Yannick Poole or Migliozzi or, or, or Victor Perez, because it's, it's all about building sort of interpersonal relationships with these players, isn't it, that, that, that you could potentially pick. Yeah. Luke um, doesn't need to on, see him in the game. He doesn't need to see Shane yeah. He doesn't need to see Tommy Fleetwood's game. Yeah. It's a bit like a stroke play version of the Hero Cup, really, isn't it? You've got all, <laughs> all, all sort of the the, 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 the the bigger players who are going to qualify anyway, not playing. Then you've got all the hopefuls that are playing. It's basically, it's, it's in essence, what it is, isn't it? But like he's not, um, in terms of Rory, in terms of Wells Fargo, I don't think, well, I looked earlier, and he's not currently, he's not currently scheduled or down to do a press conference which is quite interesting i wonder if that was his decision now just Mm. for the the sake of argument we're recording now it's just before midday on tuesday so obviously 
by the time people listen to this, we might have heard from Rory, but uh, whether it, whether it's a press conference or otherwise. But that's interesting to know whether or not Rory requested that because Rory McIlroy doesn't go to a tournament and not do a press conference. Mm. It's as simple as that. Like he, if he's in a tournament, he does a press conference. So that's really interesting if he doesn't do one. Uh, because he's mm. going to get asked about his heritage withdrawal, isn't he? And that, that's the big Rory McIlroy news at the moment is why did you w- withdraw from the, the heritage? Why weren't you mm. there? You were meant to be there and you weren't. And everyone was saying that he was sulking after his master's performance and whether or not that was the case. And obviously we hope that... Actually, we sort of hope that it was that and not anything more serious, yeah. we really? But I think as golf fans... I think we deserve an explanation as to why he wasn't there. I was thinking, I've been thinking about this because for the last few years in particular, but in, in throughout his career, he has sort of like, he, is, he has bared his soul quite a bit in press conferences. He's very honest. Mm. He lays out his emotions quite a bit. Um, but I suppose in, in the other side of that would be, he, he doesn't have to justify himself to, to anyone really, does he? he? He hasn't got to explain himself. Um, like God, why? Like us do. Like, why has Roy McIlroy got to tell us what? Um, why he well, pulls out of the heritage? Or do, do, do you know what I mean? There, I, there's I there an element of that for me as well. I think there are different levels of it. First of all, Roy Mac, like so, on a professional level, Roy McIlroy was massively influential in this new elevated designated mm. event era that we're in now. Okay, he was huge in that. And he has then broken the rules. Like, within months, he has broken the rules, which he was influential in setting out. So on a professional level, I think we deserve an explanation because of that. I suppose so, yeah. As a, as a golf fan, particularly the fans that were... I mean, we saw John Rahm went there three days after winning the Masters and said, I'm here because... If I was a kid showing up at this golf tournament, I would want to see the newly yeah. crowned Masters champion. John I bet Rahm, Roy was sat home, sat at home thinking, oh, I wish Rob hadn't gone. <laughs> I wish, yeah. I really wish he hadn't said that. As, as a sports fan, I'm just genuinely a bit nosy and interested into mm. why he wasn't there. So there were sort of three levels, really. I mean, I, I mean, even as a fan watching at home, the RBC heritage would have 100% have been improved by having Rory McIlroy there. I mean, it was a great mm. tournament, a great golf course, and it had a great finish with Fitzpatrick and Spieth going toe-to-toe down the... If only Peter Uline was there. I know. But I suppose if there's no if there's no press conference this week from him, which I imagine there will be, obviously we're speaking ahead of the time at the minute, like you said, um, but he'll speak at some point, won't he? He will speak to someone. Someone and, will ask him the question and we'll find out. And, and yeah. who knows? But if you're listening to this, he might have already answered the question and, and we'll yeah. talk about it next week. But yeah, I think uh, oh, we got to, it's going to be another Tuesday pod next week, isn't it? Because of the, the King's coronation. Oh, really? Is we it? Are a, it's another bank holiday on Monday. We're a strange little country. Oh, my God. We, we really are. We're a very strange little country. When's that on Saturday? It's on Saturday. Don't, don't give us a bank holiday on the Monday. Give us Friday off. We want to yeah. go out on Friday, not on Monday. Mm. Come on. Well, right. you're, well speaking Friday, of mate. speaking yeah. of holidays, you're off this week, mm. aren't you? I know. Going somewhere Flying nice. to Malaga tomorrow, going to Is it is it like it's called Soto Grande? Is that like the name of the overall complex? I think it's pronounced Soto Grande. It's, it's the region right. of Spain. Yeah, so yeah, playing golf a couple of times. Um, I have 
I have stayed in the SO Sotogrande Hotel. I have played the golf courses you are playing, and I'm, I'm excited for you. You're going to love it. The um, yeah, you're playing I'm very excited. You're, you're playing La Reserva, which is lovely. You're playing uh, Sotogrande, which is lovely, and you're playing yeah. Almanara, which is just absolutely. It's just a mental golf course. It's it's basically the whole thing's on the side of a hill, so every single shot is just absolutely mental. It's just really good fun. Yeah, I absolutely yeah. loved it when I played it. it. It reminded me of like a quirky English Muni. It's really good yeah. fun. Like it's not it's not as pristine as the other two, and it's not as well kept. But it's you know that's that's taking nothing away from it. It's, it's brilliant fun. You're gonna really love it. No, I'm looking forward to it. Um, the only thing I don't really like, I'll only be happy when I'm there. If you know what I mean, like tomorrow, for example, I've got quite an early get up for the airport. Not a good fire. And, and when, well, when when you've got that, you just obviously don't sleep, do you? It's like you don't sleep. So <laughs> oh, you're so, one of those people who can't sleep. When you've got an early alarm, you can't sleep. Is that what you're saying? I'm just, I'm just always worried that my alarm never goes off, even though it has every single time I've set one. Mate, wait, so, wait, until, wait until you've got kids. You will never, ever mm. worry about whether or not you can fall asleep again. Yeah, so yeah, I don't really sleep on planes. No complaints, no complaints. I'm Bit looking forward to it. Flyer. I didn't know that about you. Here we go. All right, brilliant. Well, enjoy it, and I'll uh, look forward to hearing all about it. Maybe we'll talk about it in next week's pod if people are interested mm, to hear about Soto Grande <laughs> on Tuesday because <laughs> yeah. they're spending two hundred and fifty million mm. to put a bejeweled crown on a man's head. We've all got to swear allegiance in, as well. In the cost of living remember. crisis. Let's not yeah. make this slam political. Come on. <laughs> no. Right. I'll see you next week. No. All right. Bit of it.